Amen. That was a good, that was a good celebration. Amen. Good praise to God. Hallelujah. Well, good morning, everyone. Good to see you here this morning. God bless you. God bless you. I know God is working in your lives. I know the Holy Spirit is here today. I know that God um, will complete that which he started. Paul said to the church at Philippi, he said, being confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work shall complete it. Amen? If you have your Bibles, would you open up to Revelation? Revelation chapter 3. We are slowly but methodically moving through the book of Revelation. We are looking at the seven churches that Jesus himself had a message for each and every one of them in the first century that were strategic in that hour. And you know what I've learned? That the message that was spoken then is relevant today because human nature has not changed. Human nature is still human nature. We have not changed. We've changed maybe uh, over time, culturally, technologically, in so many ways. But you know what? Mankind is still the same on the inside. We are made in the image of Almighty God, called and created to have a relationship with God, but there is a devil, there is trying to break that fellowship, trying to bring people into corruption and devastation, and ultimately the devil's plan is to bring to sin to fruition, and sin, when it's fully developed, brings forth death. But thanks be to God, who's given us life through Jesus Christ, that we today can hear God's word and be changed. But you know what? God has something to say to the church. And we're going to look at this church today. We've looked at the church at Ephesus. We've called it the almost perfect church. We looked at the church of Smyrna, which was the suffering church. Then we looked at uh, the church at Pergamos, which was the compromising church. And then we looked at Thyatira, which was the tolerant church. Now today, we're going to look at uh, the church at Sardis that some have called the dead church. Now, I believe our church is alive. Most of us. I do believe our church is alive. But there is always something to learn. There are characteristics. There are things that we can see in scriptures that will help us to navigate and to keep ourselves alive in Christ. But I came across this, actually it's in the text that we're using for our class on Tuesday night, and it talks about the dead church. And, you know, people can say, well, you know, have you ever been to a dead church? Or some say, well, I grew up in a dead church, and um, some might even say, don't go to that church, it's dead. So Paul does a great job in kind of poking fun at this. And listen to what he said. Maybe it means that their sanctuary is a morgue with a steeple. It's a congregation of corpses with undertakers for ushers, embalmers for elders, and morticians for ministers. Their pastor graduated from a theological cemetery. The choir director is the local coroner. They sing embalmed in Gilead, an amazing grave, how sweet the ground. 
You might describe their worship as stiff. At the rapture, they'll be the first church taking up, taken up because the Bible says the dead in Christ shall rise, and rise first. They drive to church in one long line with their headlights on. Whenever someone joins the membership, the church office immediately notifies the next of kin. Each week they put an ad in the obituaries. The church van is a black hearse and the church sign is a tombstone. Their motto is, many are cold and few are frozen. But that's a little bit of poking fun at the church and sometimes churches can be dead and sometimes in our own experience spiritually individually we can feel dead isn't that true and realize and understand that the church is the sum total of all of its members and all of the people that are a part of the church so if you want to see your church be alive you first and foremost as an individual need to come alive. Amen? So this morning if we turn in um, the Bibles to chapter 3, I want to read verses 1 to 6. And to the angel of the church in Sardis write, These things says he who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars, I know your works, that you have a name that you are alive, but you are dead. Be watchful and strengthen the things which remain that are ready to die, for I have not found your works perfect before God. Remember, therefore, how you have received and heard, hold fast and repent. Therefore, if you will not watch, I will come upon you as a thief, and you will not know what hour I will come upon you. You have a few names, even in Sardis, who have not defiled their garments, and they walk with me in white, for they are worthy. He who overcomes shall be clothed in white garments, and I will not blot out his name from the book of life, but I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the church. Once again, the entrance of the word brings light. God's word brings light to the darkness. What does light do? Life, light makes manifest. Light exposes things. It reveals the true nature of things. And so here we have Jesus coming to a church in the first century. And here he is. And he's revealing once again the true nature of things. He says to this church, and maybe to some of us as Christians, you have a name that you are alive, but you are dead. Now that is very startling, don't you think? That is a sober assessment of this church. Again, this church that is just made up of people just like you and I. They had a reputation, they had a name, they had an appearance of being alive, but in truth, in reality, they were dead. And this is critical because a lot of times we go by appearance how things 
appear and not by reality. We go by a reputation instead of character. What, am I, what do I mean by that? Reputation is what people think about you or think they know about you. Character is who you are before God. But we have such a, a, a draw, such a pull in our culture where people are more concerned about their reputation. What do people say about me? What do people think? Do they like me? Do they like my post? Do they like me on social media? Instead of our character, the character is who we really are. Character is what we are in relationship to God. That is the most important thing. You see, because it's not about the outward all the time, it's about the inward. Things are not always the way they appear. See, Jesus was saying to this church, you appear to be alive, but you're really dead. For all of the pur- of outward circumstances, the appearance of this church, everyone around them, maybe even those in the church, maybe other churches, or maybe the people in the community say, wow, that church is alive. But you know what Jesus said? You're really dead. See, because it's not just about appearances. How many of you know you can fake some things? How many of you know you can put on some outward um, presentation that looks pretty good? You know, uh, a few years ago, we were, we were so blessed to have uh, a giant of a preacher, a great man of God, still alive, still serving, uh, Pastor Jim Symbol of Brooklyn Tabernacle Church in, in Brooklyn, New York, a great church, a church where they have prayer meetings on Tuesday nights, or they did before COVID, and they'd have 2,000 people coming to pray to a prayer meeting. That's phenomenal. Had about 10,000 people in their church. Their music... Uh, Choir music was, was world known worldwide in the 80s and 90s, still is today, but, but just such a powerful church. And so through some relationships and God just blessing us, uh, we, we had Pastor Symbola come to minister at our church. And I was able to spend some time with him, picked him up, and I uh, was bringing him uh, to his hotel, but I was going to bring him to uh, a deli that is famous. I won't mention it because we're live. But it was a well-known deli, very famous, and I was, you know, I wanted to give him a, a taste of, of Rhode Island culture, and I wanted to impress him with, with an Italian deli in Providence that's, that's very famous, very well-known, and I wanted to bring him there for the, the best sub, the best Italian grinder he ever had. So I bring him into this place, and I'm just walking in, and here I got Pastor Jim Cimbala with me. So proud, so excited. We go into the deli, and we're ready to order a grinder, and the guy behind the the counter tells me, we have no bread. How could you have a deli? How could you have grinders? How could you have subs and not have bread? Are you kidding me? So I very humbly walked out and said, we'll go to another, the second best (laughs) deli. But this deli had 
a reputation of being the best, but it didn't even have bread. <laughs> Things are not always as they appear. You could have a reputation for being the best Italian make gr grinder or sub maker, but if you have no bread, it means nothing. The reality is there are dead churches that don't know they're dead. There are some churches that appear to be dead but really are alive. You see, once again, Jesus is stripping away all of the, the natural assessments or, or the human perspective of things, and he's, he's getting to the heart of the matter. And what, why I appreciate these messages, and I know there are seven of them, and maybe it might sound a little redundant that we're going through each one of them, but you know what? It's critical because God wants to reveal things in our life to prepare us for not only our future in heaven, but our future on earth. You see, God wants to reveal some things. I don't want to go get to the end of the journey or get to that day I stand before the Lord and realize that I had things in my life I didn't deal with, I had characteristics I didn't work on. I had areas of my life where I thought I was alive, but I was dead. I want to know that now. Amen? Don't you want to have the doctor's assessment of your health now and not after you're in the hospital? Don't you want to have it now so that you can prepare your life, you can order your life, you can walk in truth and righteousness now and strip away what you think about yourself or even what other people think about you. The most important thing is what God knows you to be. And his word is that mirror. You see, these churches are not relics of the past. They're mirrors that we can see ourselves. And that's critically important that the Holy Spirit blows away the dust and the debris of, of hundreds of years and, and uncovers the hidden truths of Scripture so that you and I can be changed. You see, even in churches and even in our lives, Activities, programs, meetings, a lot of business, a lot of work going on, doesn't mean a church is alive. A.W. Tozer said, if the Holy Spirit was withdrawn from the church today, 95% of what we do would go on and no one would know the difference. That's a sobering assessment. and I think it's pretty spot on and accurate in a lot of ways. You see... We can be alive from a human perspective, but dead from God's perspective. You know, we even see this. If you turn with me to Matthew chapter 23, we can see this in the Gospels. When Jesus was dealing with the religious leaders, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the scribes, the people who had the Scripture, they had the Word. They had all of the religious trappings of their day. But look what Jesus says to them in Matthew 23, verse 25. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! You cleanse the outside of the cup and the dish. What does that mean? They were taking care of, of the outward presentation of what people saw. They were more concerned about what people saw of them. But inside, you're full of extortion and self-indulgence. Blind Pharisees first cleanse the inside of the cup and the dish, and the outside of, of them may be clean also. 
Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs which indeed appear beautifully outwardly, beautiful outwardly, but inside are full of dead men's bones and all uncleanness. Even so, also outwardly you appear righteous to men, but inside you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. Wow. Think of that. that that's, Jesus is, is confronting what would be the, the, the religious leaders of his day. The clergy, if you will. The, the, the theologians. What an indictment. What a, what a sobering, shocking word that he gave them. And, and let me tell you, I wish that the Pharisees, the Sadducees, and the religious leaders would have humbled themselves and repented and said, Lord, you're right, forgive us, we, we, we've been hip- hypocritical. But they didn't. That's why Jesus was crucified, because of self-righteous religious leaders who would not change. You see, in essence, what Jesus was saying to them, outwardly you appear to be alive, but really you're dead. You see, that is the danger for you and I. We become more concerned about what people think instead of what God knows. You remember King Saul. He was the first king of Israel. And King Saul had all the promise of being a great king. He had all of the the, the capabilities and, and, and the giftings and all of that. But you know what? He began to disobey God. The Bible tells us he was full of jealousy, anger, rage, pride. Things that all of, things that you and I deal with, amen? But the thing is, he didn't deal with it. And he would be confronted and he would be challenged. And instead of repenting, instead of coming before God and say, God, I've sinned. God, I'm wrong. God changed me. God changed my mind. God changed my heart. He became more stubborn. Please, note to self, don't become more stubborn. So what did Saul do? with his weakness and his sinful propensities, instead of repenting. There came a time when he had a battle with the Philistines and was going to war, and and Samuel was going to come. Samuel the prophet was going to come and offer a sacrifice. But you know what? Again, in in, in Saul's self-will, I'm going to do this my way. I'm sick and tired of waiting. I don't care about that. I want my way. I want it now. He offers a sacrifice that was only reserved for the priest and the prophet. And Samuel comes and rebukes him and says, the Lord will not honor you now. And now listen to what Saul does or says. In 1 Samuel 15, 30, Saul says, honor me now before the elders of my people and before Israel. Did you get that? What was Saul concerned with? He wasn't concerned with his heart. He wasn't concerned with with, that he offended God. He was more concerned. He says, Samuel, come and honor me before the elders and before the people of Israel. More concerned with what people think. You see, there's a danger, especially in our culture, which what is all about, what's all about being a an influencer, being impressive, especially on social media. There's nothing wrong with social media, 
but when it begins to cause you to think more of your reputation than your character. Oh, if I post this, I'm going to be projected or presented as more spiritual, visionary, hip, whatever. You see, we don't play to the crowd. We play to one. There was a concert violinist who had been mentored by one of the masters. He practiced, he rehearsed, he prepared, and on that special night, he stood to perform his musical piece in the concert hall, packed with people. The main floor, the balcony was overflowing. When he finished his presentation, the crowd all stood in unison to applaud with great enthusiasm. But the violinist was not satisfied. He was not content until he looked up into the balcony where the master sat, his mentor. And after what seemed like an eternity to the violinist, his mentor finally stood and applauded his musical piece. Then the violinist breathed a sigh of relief, and he bowed in acknowledgement of the applause. Why was that? Because the mentor in the balcony was the one who knew, like no other, the difficulty of the musical orchestration, the nuance, the challenge, the difficulty. And in reality, in reality, the violinist was only playing for the one, the maestro, the master. You see, ultimately, you and I, as Christ followers, it doesn't matter what the crowd says. They could be applauding, but if Jesus isn't applauding, that's what matters. Everyone else could be cheering, but if he isn't applauding, nothing else matters. Matter of fact, I can preach a message, and you could be applauding, but if Jesus isn't applauding, what does it mean? Or I can preach a message and nobody could be acknowledging it or applauding or saying amen, but Jesus might be saying amen. And that's what matters because you and I, we don't play to the crowd. We don't serve for the crowd. We don't, we don't do what we do for others. We do it for Jesus and Jesus alone. We serve, we work, we sacrifice, we minister for the applause of the one. The psalmist said, not unto us, O Lord, not unto us, but unto your name. Bring glory. Paul said in, first, in, in, in Philippians chapter 1, for me to live is Christ. You see, this message by Christ to the church challenges us to examine our hearts that there's no deception there's no duplicity. You see, self-deception is the worst form of deception that all of us could be prone to. We have blind spots. We all do. Just like in our vehicle. That's why they have those sensors now because there's a part of your, your side view mirror and your rear view mirror that does, you just don't see it. 
And we all have those blind spots in life. We don't see parts of our, of our character, parts of our, 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 our way, the way we carry, the way we live ourselves. And we need the fellowship of church. See, I, don't, I can't comprehend people. Oh, I don't go to church anymore. I just pray at home. I just read the Bible at home. Well, good. You should pray at home. You should read at home. But you need a body of believers. Why do people withdraw from church? Number one reason, they get offended. Or sin in their life. But the reality of it is, you will get offended. Unless you find a perfect church. But then once you go there, it's not perfect anymore. The reality of it is we need, the Bible says, as iron sharpens iron, so does a man sharpen the countenance of his friend. If you live in isolation, the Bible says in Proverbs, he who withdraws himself and isolates himself seeks his own desires. That's the word of God. And so here we have this, this, this message and, and, and to get beyond the, the, the deception and, and the self-deception. And see, self-deception is when you talk yourself into thinking you're okay. We can do that pretty good, can't we? Isn't it funny? It's not really funny, it's sad. That we are more strict in our judgment on other people than we are on ourselves. Isn't it true? That, that when we see somebody else do it, like, oh, I can't believe it. They're a Christian. They did that. When we do it, well, God knows my heart. Second, Second Corinthians, would you turn Second Corinthians chapter 13? When you're there, say amen. Even if it's in waves. Second Corinthians 13, 5. Paul says, examine your neighbor. Just want to make sure you got the right translation. Examine yourselves as to whether you are in the faith. Prove yourself. He's talking to a church. He's talking to Christ followers. But it was no guarantee that they were, they were on spot on. He said, do you not know yourselves that Jesus Christ is in you? Unless indeed you are disqualified. But I trust you will know that we are not disqualified. The importance of examining yourselves. Let's be careful this morning. Because we could have reputation without reality. Shadows without substance. Form without force. What challenges did Jesus make to, to this dying church or dead church? In verse 2 he says, wake up. Wake up. That must have struck a chord in a city. Sardis, the way Sardis as a city was situated, three uh, parts of its uh, perimeter uh, was so impregnable that, that it was thought that no one could ever capture the city. But do you know that two times this impregnable city was captured because the watchman fell asleep? Because the watchman was not always aware and awake. And you see, this struck a chord in their heart because it reminded them of their, of their history. That, that they thought they were secure, but they had been taken off guard. A lack of spiritual vigilance 
likewise can prove costly in our lives. That's why the scriptures say over and over, be sober, be vigilant. For your adversary, the devil, goes about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. The Bible calls us to watch, to be vigilant. I've been to some countries around the world, and in and, and many of these countries, they'll have a security guard at a gate, whether it's leading to a compound or where somebody lives or a, even a church compound. And you know, I've been to some of these places where, where you're tooting the horn for them to open the gate, and they're sleeping. I said, sleeping watchmen. What kind of watchmen are they? They're sleeping. Oh, well, be compassionate. They're tired. Yeah, but they're not called to be a watchman then. Wake up, the Lord says. Look at verse 2. Be watchful. And then number 2, what else does he say? Strengthen the things that remain. That means cultivate, fortify, build upon. You see, in Sardis, even though the church was overall considered dead, there was still some, some signs of life. So Jesus was saying, I want you to cultivate those small evidences of life that remain. Then he says, remember what you've received. That doesn't mean just to recall, but it means to always bear in mind, take into account, take heed. That's why fellowship with other believers is so critical. That's why our life groups on Wednesday nights is such a blessing. Even for me, I'm in a life group and, and with other men and, and just to talk about the things of God. Amen. What do they do? They help you to bear it in mind, to recall, to think about it, to put life into the, a, a biblical perspective. Hold tightly to the truth. That means, I remember Brother Douglas sharing this many years ago. It means you don't just hold it with one hand, you hold it with two. Hold it tightly. Hold the things of God. Hold the truth with two hands. And then Jesus also said, repent. You hear this message over and over to these seven churches that needed to change. And basically it means, it means to change one's mind. One's mindsets that are sinful, carnal, and fleshly. Understand, brothers and sisters, we are all challenged by a sinful nature that wants to dominate again, that wants to rise up, whether it's in word or thought or action, but we need to keep coming before God and repenting, asking God to forgive us. Asking God to cleanse us in his blood. Asking God to change us. Not making excuses for sin, but repenting of sin. And I want to just close quickly with five marks of a dead church that Chuck Swindoll mentioned. He said after 40 years or 50 years of pastoral ministry, he came up with five marks of a dead church. And I want to quickly give these to you as we close and then we're going to partake of communion. Number one, a dead church worships its past. It's always the way things used to be. And I, I, I honor the past. I, we, we celebrate what God has done in the past. We remember that because it's important to know where you came from, but we don't live there. This is a new day. 
God is still working by his spirit. God is still doing miracles. God's arm is not short and that it cannot save. God still wants to bring revival. God still wants to save souls. God still wants to do incredible things. We, we celebrate the past, but we also embrace the future. Amen? We don't just look at the way things used to be, but we say, you know what? God is able to do it again. God is able to reach people. He's able to restore people, and he's able to revive people. So one of the marks a dead church worships its past. Number two, a dead church is inflexible and resistant to change. They, every, everything that's new, uh, dead churches remain skeptical, uh, skeptical uh, resistant, or fearful. But living churches are open to change. We change methods, but we never change the message. We're willing to try new things. We're willing to be innovative. We're willing to be creative. We're willing to do whatever we can do to reach people. Paul said, I, do, I, I become all things to all men that I may reach them with the gospel. So, so we're, we're inflexible and resistant to changing the word. We won't change this. This is God's word. We live by it and we'll die by it. But you know what? We're willing to be, we're willing to change and be flexible. Another characteristic he mentions, a dead church often has carnal and lazy leadership. Pride, complacency, and entitlement permeate a dead church. But I want to I challenge uh, this church. I continually do, and I believe our, our leadership is not carnal. I believe our leadership is not lazy. I believe we are enthusiastically engaged in ministry. And I want to challenge every one of you, if you've grown a little carnal, if you've grown a little lazy, now's not the time. Jesus is coming back. The church needs to do more and not less. We're looking to go back in the next few weeks or months, looking to go back to Wednesday nights in-house. We need children. Think about children's church. Our children have not been in children's church for a year and have not been taught the word of God in a church setting in a year, in person. That should burden your heart. That should challenge you to pray. That should also cause you to examine your heart and say, how can I use my giftings, my passion, to be a blessing? Fourthly, a dead church neglects children and youth. I thank God for this church. I thank God for Pastor Mike and Pastor Tara. They have a faithful couple in David and Rosita who come and minister with them every week, travel over an hour just one way to be here faithfully to minister to our youth. Our young people need to be grateful. I know in our culture, uh, maybe young people are not taught to write thank you cards, but why don't we try it? I didn't shut my mic off because I wanted that to add emphasis. I think our young people need to be grateful for the sacrifices and, and the, the resources that we put behind uh, the ministry. I also have uh, in my possession a copy of a, a very important document. This is the official, or official copy of the building permit for our youth expansion that we finally, <laughs> finally have received. Uh, so, so, We've been uh, waiting, preparing, and even giving 
uh, to that expansion. And so in the next month or two, God willing, we'll begin to break ground and uh, build that youth expansion, that outreach expansion for the glory of God. Can you say amen? amen. But I want to challenge you as a church that, that you would get a passion to serve in the church. You know, a lot of people have vision. A lot of people even have dreams. A lot of people even are challenged by, by those visionary leaders that, that say, you've got a destiny. And I believe you've got a destiny. But you know what? There are some people who have great dreams and visions. They want to do great things, but they don't want to do small things. Do you know how you get there? One step at a time. And I, I learned a long time ago, what I do for God's house, God will do for my house. I have seen that to be true. Sacrifices and consecrations I've made for God's house. God has blessed my life. God has blessed our life because we made it happen for God's house. So if you have a vision, if you have a dream, if you have a passion, if you have a destiny, I want you to put some feet to it and do it for God's house and watch what God will do for your house. And lastly, a dead church lacks evangelistic and missionary zeal. But again, I thank God for Victory Church that we have evangelistic zeal. During this pandemic, we've done more outreach and given more money to missions than we have in our 30-year history. Isn't the, Give God praise. Amen. Amen. Give God praise. That's amazing. See, God does so many great things around here. You guys take things for granted. We gave the most to, to missions ever in 30 years, and you're like, hmm, praise the Lord. Praise God, hallelujah. You see something on Facebook, somebody just went, went, had, a, had a meal at a great restaurant. Whoa, that's awesome. Praise the Lord, looks good. Is that a little misplaced emotion? A little misplaced zeal? God help us, amen. Praise the Lord. The promises God gave to this church, he said, I'll clothe you in white garments. That means purity and righteousness. We're gonna take partake of communion. And you know what? We're clothed in righteousness because of the blood of Jesus. Jesus said, I will not blot your name out of the book of life. You know why that's so significant? Because we're living in a cancel culture. But you know what? People could cancel us out. People could write us off. But Jesus will never, never, never cancel us out. He'll never write us off. He'll never give up on us. He said, I will not blot your name out of the book of life. And Jesus also said, I will confess your name before my Father and before the holy angels. Would you give God praise this morning for his goodness? Would you stand together as Pastor Mike comes? He's just going to lead and just taking a couple of moments as we bring the service to a close to partake of communion. Let's prepare our hearts. Amen. Let's prepare our hearts.